Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And while you're getting there, I'm going to tell you a story. It's a story about a man who's rushed to the emergency room. He suffered a heart attack. The doctor tells him he will not survive the night without a heart transplant right away. Another doctor runs into the room and he says, Good news. Two hearts have become available, so you get to choose which one you want. One belongs to an attorney and the other to a social worker. The patient immediately responds, I'll take the one from the lawyer. The doctor says, well, hang on. You don't know about how these people lived or what choices they made and those kinds of things. He goes, the patients already know plenty. For the first thing is the social workers, they're all bleeding hearts, and that attorney probably never used his. (laughs) If anybody here is a lawyer, I'll apologize ahead of time. Jay Stiles once said, the heart is used in scripture as the most comprehensive term for the authentic person. It is part of our being where we desire, deliberate, and decide. It has been described as the place of conscious and decisive spiritual activity. The comprehensive term for a person as a whole, his feelings, his desires, passions, thought, understanding, and will, and the center of a person, the place to which God turns. The first verse we're going to read here is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, and it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his what? Heart was only evil continually. In Psalms 44, 21, God says, Shall not the God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. There are a lot of things that go on in a person's heart that are not necessarily apparent. That's even between a husband and wife. That could be parents and children. That can be brothers and sisters. All these different things that go on inside the heart, a lot of those, there are people who you can just look at them and you know. Uh, we have a, I have a good friend in our church whose name is Dean, and he wears his heart on his sleeves. The minute somebody comes in, he's excited to see him, and you know it. Um, he's glad that you're there. He tells you that he's praying for you. I mean, everything about his heart is just right there. You can see it. But for a lot of us, it's kind of buried down. And we're only letting you see in our face part of uh, it, that may have not nothing to do with what's on with you. And it all depends on the individual. But when God looks at us, he's looking at the heart. God's not looking at the outward appearance. He's not looking to see, hey, did you uh, did you wear your suit and your tie today? Did you remember to take a shower? Did you brush your teeth? Did you do God doesn't care about all of that stuff. He cares about what's the heart and, and where's the heart in about that? In Jeremiah chapter 17, 9, God tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. Just think about what this, whatever you think about is the most deceitful thing you can think of. God saying your own heart can be that way. And that doesn't matter whether you're saved or lost. Uh, I grew up in the Dakotas and I can honestly say as a good Lutheran that uh, I had a lot of people around me that had far more character than I will ever have in my entire life. And a lot of them were lost. They thought their self-righteousness of being a good person was good enough for God to accept them. And they had a great heart. They would do anything for anybody. Now, uh, we'll put a proviso. I grew up in Mayberry RFD, where I lived. You didn't have to lock cars, lock doors. You didn't have to do any of that. In the winter, you would just leave your car running outside while you went in to get groceries. Now, part of that was because if you turned it off, it may not start again. (laughs) 
Um, and the second thing is, is, you know, it gets pretty cold there. So, you know, when you're below zero, it's really nice to come back to a car that's not frozen solid and you want to be able to get the doors to open and all those kinds of things. Because when you go to that door and you put your thumb on there and you push and it doesn't move at all, your day is starting off bad. And, you know, maybe God gave you a lot of grace and mercy and you could deal with that because that's just the first start. Then you have to get the door to pull open once you get the knob pushed in. And then the windows may be frozen over. You know, and then you start the car and the battery, because it's so cold, isn't working really well. And you're like, that's about the time you go, oh, Lord, just please let it start. You know, that your first prayer for the day, you know, that kind of a thing. You get on the freeway and it may be, or the highway and you're driving down the road and it's so cold, the windshield wipers freeze and they get stuck on the windshield. If you've never had this experience, that's probably because you lived in Western Washington. And, and be thankful for it because it's a very beautiful place. But all it takes, just what one of those little things along there can make your heart go, start off from the morning and go from a nice, high, good place. You're doing well. You, you prayed, you read your Bible, everything's going well. And then things start chipping away at that. And it doesn't take long for your heart to go grumble, grumble, grumble and all those kinds of things. Um, and the thing with the heart is turn over to Galatians chapter five, Galatians chapter five and God's telling us a lot about our heart and the fact that that's what he's looking at. He wants to see our heart doesn't. And now understand, I know there's time that your heart may not be feeling that great. And so you have to kind of fake it. I'm a firm believer, you know, sometimes it's worth just faking it until you make it. Because sometimes you may not be feeling that great. Sometimes there may be a whole bunch of bad things going on in your life that are really difficult to deal with. and But yet you still have to keep going. And that's when you need God's help and God's grace. But trying to hide yourself behind a wall of your heart, trying to hide yourself from not only people, but from God, God still sees your heart no matter what you do. Now, as a young person, you know, I was one of those that was saved at a very young age. But when I got uh, out of high school and was living on my own in the military, you know, the Lord and I weren't very close. And one of the things I learned from that whole experience is the further you run away, the more painful it is to get back to where you belong. And God is so gracious and so merciful that he'll let you run out a long ways, a lot further than you probably should. But when he starts pulling you back, it's not as easy to come back as it was to go out there. And in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19, it tells us, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. These are all things that come out of the heart. I mean, and this is just a small list. There's, there's, we can go to all sorts of verses all over the place and find tons of verses, but you start looking at this and it says, for the works of the flesh, these are things that just come out of people. That's why we shouldn't be surprised when brother or so-and-so and sister so-and-so and somebody that you looked up and respected and thought a lot of, and then you see them just go wrong. And unfortunately, that happens. I can remember at Faith Baptist Church when I was first going there, there was a couple of gentlemen that I looked up to and respected because if the doors were open, they were there. If there was something going on in the church, they were there. And then several years later, things happen and just poof, they're gone, disappeared. 
And then you just keep finding out stuff about them that comes out that's just worse and worse and worse. And at first, for a while, it really bothered me. And then I just realized, God, you're just giving me an example of what you said right here, what's in the heart of mankind, is when we get our heart off of God, any saved person can do any of these. There's nothing that's going to stop you as a saved person from doing any of these if you walk away from the Lord. Now, if you keep your eyes on the Lord, in spite of the difficult circumstances that people may go through, God will keep you from these. But at the point you take your eyes off the Lord and it's centered on your heart, Lord have mercy because you are capable of anything. Uh, I know a church member that um, I used to, well, used to know. I haven't seen him in a long time. But uh, one time he had, it's one of those he had a bad week. Just everything was going wrong. And then he was driving back home and somebody cut him off and then cut him off again. And he was, and he actually brandished his gun because he was a concealed weapons permit legally. But he brandished his gun because he got so angry and so frustrated that that's what his heart made him do. That's a scary thought. Because one thing is, is I, by the way, I'm a firm believer in concealed carry permits and your right to bear arms. But the thing is, is I'm also was trained in the military. If you're pulling it out, that means you're going to use it. Otherwise, it stays where it belongs. It is not a toy. It's not a trump card to pull out like, oh, see, I have this. Be good. That's not what it's for. But see, that's in the heart. And that heart in the flesh and in of itself, God says it's all of these things. And, and so we shouldn't be surprised when we see people we know who are good people and some of these things happen. That just means we need to pray for them more because of what's going on. Turn over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 19. And it says, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. Uh, this is my, my interpretation of this just to start from the get-go is there's no excuse for you. Doesn't matter what you went through. Romans chapter 1 here tells you there's no excuse. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And then it starts launching on in verse 21. It says, because that, when they knew God, glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. There are people out there, God says, I don't care who you are, when you're a little person, I put it in you to know that I exist. And then at some point, in some age, whatever that may be is for a child, they decide, you know what? I don't want to do the right thing. I want to do it my way. I don't care what my parents say. I don't care what the laws say. I just want my heart. I just want me to be happy with the things I want to be happy with. And God says right here, you know what's happening? Is you have a foolish heart and your heart is getting dark. And you're building up all these walls around your heart so that God and anything else good can't get there. And that wall can get bigger and thicker and harder in that heart. And that's what we do. Saved or lost, it doesn't make a difference. My biggest problem was God didn't answer my prayer request like I wanted. So I built up that nice thick wall around my heart and then God had to bust it open. I don't personally recommend that as a way to go. It's much better if you dismantle it all by yourself. But nonetheless, some of us 
have an issue with that. Let's just think about some things that are in your heart. Pride. Right? Pride is in your heart. doesn't matter who you are. We all have pride to some degree. I deserve this. You know, just like the devil, all the way back into the book of Isaiah and book of Ezekiel, what is it? what was his biggest problem? Pride. I will be like the Most High. Well, maybe you're in a job and you're doing all the work and somebody else is getting all the credit and you go, this isn't right. I should. Wait a minute. Did God tell you? No, you're saying I should. I deserve something. Careful when you put the word I in front of whatever comes afterwards. Because that can be a very uh, great recipe for you putting your heart into condition that's going to cause you more and more problems as it goes along. Uh, pride, the definition in the Webster's 1828 is inordinate self-esteem and unreasonable conceit of one's own superiority in talents, beauty, wealth, accomplishments, rank, or elevation in office, which manifests itself in lofty airs, distance, reserve, and often contempt for others. When we read the books of Psalms and we read in the Proverbs, there's so many things that talk us about keeping our heart pure, keeping our heart clean, keeping our hearts so God can reach us and teach us. Proverbs 16 tells us that pride comes before the fall. Why? You let, you let your heart get in there and you think you're all that. And then God says, okay, I'm going to have to take care of this eventually. And then there's something's going to come along. It's going to trip you. And then down you go. And the worst part is, is if your heart is in a really bad place, you're going to go, I don't deserve this. God should have just made everything perfect for me. You know, and that's a tough place to be at. Um, there's an illustration of this from Jose Cubero. He was one of Spain's most brilliant matadors before he lost consciousness and, and died. His last words were, Pally, this bull has killed me. He was a 20-year-old. He'd been enjoying a spectacular career. However, in his 1958 bullfight, he made a tragic mistake. He thrust his sword a final time into the bleeding, delirious bull, which then collapsed. Considering the struggle finished, Jose turned to the crowd to acknowledge the applause. The bull, however, was not dead. It rose and lunged at the unsuspecting matador, its horn piercing his back and puncturing his heart. Just when we think we've taken care of pride and it's no longer a problem, just when we turn to get all the adoration and the congratulations of the crowd, pride will stab you in the back. And that's one of the things that comes out of the heart that just comes out so easily. And let's face it, every one of you, if you're here, God has given you some gifts and talents for his purpose. They are not for you to be prideful about. They're not for you to lift yourself up. They're for you to use for the master's service. He goes, I'm giving you these gifts, whatever they may be. I want you to use these talents for me, to glorify me, to lift me up, not you. And Paul tells us that oftentimes when you look at his preaching, it's like, no, I need the Lord lifted up and I need to get me out of the way. And that's so true for all of us, uh, especially even here this morning. If all you hear is me this morning, it's a waste of your time. If the Lord doesn't show up and the Holy Spirit doesn't work on your heart, then what's the point? Just showing up here, yes, the world would say, hey, you're a good person. You got up early and you came to church and, you know, churches try to help you become a better person, all that. Yeah, but the important part is the Holy Spirit talking to your heart. And the Holy Spirit, you know, because there's been times, just to be honest, where I've gone into a church service, I've sat down, somebody's preached, I may not even know who they are, 
he's preaching on subject A and God's convicting me on subject B. Has nothing to do with what that person's talking about. And God's going to my heart saying, I want to talk to you about this. I know a pastor um, over in uh, Boise, Idaho, associate pastor, and uh, I was listening to one of his messages, and he was talking about one time the pastor was talking about all sorts of sexual sins and problems and everything else in the world, and the Lord was talking to him about a pride issue. And God was saying, you know what you need to do when he gets on preaching? You need to come up here and get down on the altar and pray and ask and ask me to forgive you for what's going on in your heart. And he's like, but God, if I walk up there, everybody else is going to think this is what's going on. And God's like, do you love me? Where's your heart? Who cares about anybody else? If you're worried about everybody else, then you have a heart problem. And that's a tough thing. And he, and he, he fought with the Lord through the whole message until he finally said, okay, Lord, I'll go. I'll go. I I got it. I'll go. And that's sometimes how we are. There's unbelief. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Let's face it. We live in a society of unbelief. We live in a society that anything but God, they're happy with pretty much. Um, and it can, you can do whatever you want. Everybody should, you know, just love and care and share and care for everybody, except if you want to try to actually live the way God wants you to live. That's wrong, but everything else is okay. And uh, unfortunately, that's where we, we see so much stuff going on is unbelief. There's unthankfulness. Have you thought about how many things? I, I think about this every now and then. It's like, how many things have I forgot to go to God and say thank you? How many things? How many times has God done things when I'm not even aware of it? Because let's face it, as a young 20-something male, I did all sorts of very stupid things. One example is if you've ever been to Norfolk, Virginia, there are bridge tunnels over there, which they run out as a bridge. Then they go in a tunnel under the water, come back up on the other side. And that's the only way you can get around that whole metro area. And as a young person, um, I used to have the habit in my 1983 Z28 high output that was modified slightly with a five speed of, of hitting that tunnel with all those lights and playing the wrong kind of music. There was a, just everything within me wanted to just put that foot all the way to the floor. So there was many numerous times I'm going in excess of 130 miles an hour through this bridge tunnel. Let's face it, all it took would be somebody broken down in the middle of there, and that would have been the end of it. How many? But did I think about that? Not at all. Not until a little bit later. Well, okay, a lot later. Um, but how many times has God done something in your life, and we're just going along, and we're not even aware of it? How many times does God do something like bring you to the right church where you can grow and learn about the Lord? He brings people in your path to help build you up and make you stronger. He gives you a help me like my wife. She's been with me a long time. And I mean, right there, you know, I'm thankful. Why? Because I know me. I don't want to put up with me all the time. And she's, you know, and, and she's a totally different person. But all the things that we have to be thankful for, I'm thankful I live in the United States of America as part of the military. I went all over the world. And I can tell you point blank, un, without any hesitation whatsoever, there is no better country in the world to live in right now than the United States of America. Yeah, it may have its problems. It may have lots of issues. It may not be as good as it once was, but this is still the best place on earth. Yes, I don't agree with all the politics and all the other things that are going on. But you know what? When the sun comes out, it's one of the most beautiful places here in Western Washington I've ever seen in my life. And I'm thankful for that. You know, and let's face it, there are some springs and winters just to see sunshine is a blessing because it might be weeks and weeks of gray and rain and everything else. Thank you, Lord. 
there's so much that goes on for us to be able to, to be unthankful about. And that's, that's such a hard thing anymore, just to be thankful. And it can be something simple, you know, telling your parents, thank you. Telling your siblings, thank you. Telling the people work, that are work at work trying to help you, thank you. You know what? I'm even thankful for people who do a good job and have a good spirit about them if they're your server at a restaurant. Thank you for doing a good job. Thank you for having a good spirit about you. Because let's face it, some of them don't. Uh, they're a little cranky. But maybe if we showed them that we're a Christian by the way that our heart works, maybe we can make a difference in their life. Because if they can see the difference in us and the way I live our life, and these are some of the things that should show in that heart, that's what's going to really make a major difference in somebody. Because let's face it, anybody can be out in the world to be cranky because they haven't had their coffee yet. Because I think caffeine is a pretty important thing, you know, for a lot of people. But can you be gracious and kind and all those other things in spite of it? You know, there's many times where you don't know what's going on and they're having a hard time getting the backlog of whatever your order from Starbucks is or whatever your breakfast order is and just be patient and kind with them. You don't know how much of a difference that can make to that person's day with whatever else went on with them. In the Three Edwards book by Thomas Castain in the history, he talks about Reynald III, a 14th century duke, and which is now is Belgium. He was grossly overweight. Reynald was commonly called by his Latin nickname, Crassus, which means fat. After a violent quarrel with his brother, his younger brother, Edward, led a successful revolt against him, and he was locked up into a tower. And he told him, you can leave and regain your kingship anytime you want. All you have to do is be able to leave the room. And you think, well, that should be no problem at all. It wouldn't have been difficult for most people. Because the room had several windows and a door of near normal size, and none of them were locked, and none of them were barred. The only problem was his size. In order to regain his freedom, he had to lose weight. And each and every day, his brother, who knowing him, sent him a variety of delicious foods, and every day he gained weight and never lost. And that's what sin and all the works of the devil are to us in a lot of ways. God gives us the way to get out, but we have to choose to do it God's way in order for those things to happen. There's envy in your heart, for wrath killeth the foolish man, and envy slayeth. Um, Envy is such a terrible thing. I want something that somebody else has. And that's such an easy thing to say. You know, hey, I wish I could sing and make, you know, I, I borderline joyful noise. Just being honest, it's probably not even joyful. I'm just, that's my target. It's very easy to be envious of people who can sing. It's very easy to be envious of people who have talents or whatever things you want. But sometimes you forget is maybe that's not what God wants for you. And when we get envy in there, we want to be like somebody else. Well, God didn't make you to be like person blah. He made you to be you. And we, instead of being thankful for who we are, we get envious of somebody else and their talents and their capabilities. And let's face it, if you've been alive any length of time, no matter what it is you're good at, there's always somebody better. No matter what talents and skills you have, there's somebody else that's just, just far and above anything that you can do. How are you going to react to that? What are you going to let your heart do? 
In Deuteronomy 11, 16, it says, Take heed to yourself that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside. Deceit. Your heart is deceitful and wicked. It's going to make you turn six ways from Sunday if you don't watch it, if you don't take care of it. And uh, it's a whole bunch of problems that your heart can give you. There's rebellion, there's strife, there's exaggeration, and there's treachery. So let's turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 1, 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God gives you all of this. So when you have these issues in here of fear and all these other things, realize that God has given your heart exactly what it needs. He says that you shouldn't be fearful of things. Now, I understand there's a, we've got to the point where we have a whole generation of people that the only time they can have any emotional response is when they go to some horror movie and they're scared out of their brains. God's saying, that shouldn't be you. I'm giving you a heart that should have a sound heart. Fear should not be what motivates you and gets you to do things. That's not where you're supposed to be at. And we have a culture now that is just consumed with fear of everything. And we've lost what God told us to be. We've got to the point where we're so fearful of people, we won't even talk to people. And we're not even in, you know, New York or New Jersey, for example. You know, we're not riding on the subway. But a lot of times we go places we won't even talk to people. Turn over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And Paul's given us so much good stuff in here. And I want to turn down to verse 25. And it says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. So what God tells you is there's something that happens to you when, gets, when you get saved that is unlike everybody else. So we can all draw the little picture of our heart. Some of us are very artistic and we can do a really good job and well, some of us were just hoping for the general shape and that you can kind of figure out what it is. But I want you to think about that shape of the heart. And in that shape of the heart, there is a throne that sits up at the top. And that's you making the decisions for that heart. That's you deciding what you're going to do, how you're going to respond to things, what things you're going to put your affections on, what things you're going to follow, all those kinds of things. That's all controlled because you have this little throne sitting in your heart and you get the option. You can come over here and you can sit down on that throne and you're like, well, I know my parents say this, but you know what? We're not doing that today. You know, or maybe you have to you sit over here and you're in the school room and the teacher says to do this and you're like, nope, we're not doing that today. That's you sitting on that throne making that decision. But something happens when you get saved. 
God puts an altar in your heart. And that altar in your heart, you and the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory, you get to decide something. Who's sitting on the throne? Who's sitting on the altar? Because at all times, you are on one and Jesus Christ is on the other. So you think of that heart when you sit down and making decisions, when you are running things, you're on the throne. That means you're putting Jesus Christ back on the altar. And that's not the way it should be. But you, when you say, I die daily, like what Paul said is, that's you getting up on the altar. That means Jesus Christ is on the throne of your heart. Can you see how simple little things that go in our heart can make such a drastic difference in the choices we make? Is, is God really in, you know, why am I making this choice? Why am I making this decision? Well, who's on the throne? Are, are you letting the Lord sit in that throne seat? Are you letting him make those choices for your life? Or, well, you know, I, I did this really quick prayer and just asked for this little thing. And I'm pretty sure God, you know, mostly answered it. So I'm good. Let's go. But did he really? See, that's the hard thing to do sometimes is we're praying for things. We want God to answer the prayer. And sometimes we're looking for gleanings. We're looking for anything that might kind of sort of look like the prayer was answered. So why? I can sit down on that throne and off we go. And that's not the way it should be. Colossians 1.27 shows us clearly that the Lord Jesus Christ is in you as a saved person. So now I want you to think back to the lost person. Jesus Christ isn't there. They're on the throne because there's there's pretty much nobody else there. And if they're not on the throne, the devil is. Why should we be surprised in what choices people make? Some of the things that they do when they're lost. As a saved person, we can get up on that throne and make just as much a wreck of our life as the devil could do. And he's trying to help us out. Bishop Berkeley once said, when I pray, I sin. When I preach, I sin. My very repentance needs to be repented of and my tears need washing in the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but there's been some times in my life where I'm down on my knees or flat on the ground, bawling my brains out to the Lord because of the things that are going on. And you just realize, Lord, I don't know why you'd listen to me. I've, I've done, I've, I've gotten to the age now where I've committed way more sins as a saved person than I ever did as a lost person. And there are times God is so good. The goodness of God leadeth to repentance. Sometimes God is so good in the middle of you doing wrong, you're like, oh Lord, could you have done something bad to me? Cause at least I'd feel better about it. But you went and you did something nice to me and I know you did it beyond a shadow of a doubt was all you and you know I don't deserve it and you know where my heart is at and then it just slices you open. And you're like, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. I messed up. Shouldn't have done whatever it was. Shouldn't have let my mind go there. Shouldn't have put my heart there, whatever those things are. Because I can tell you sometimes when God, he looks down at you and he sees you making a train wreck out of your life and he goes, you know what? I'm going to bless them anyways. I'm going to bless them anyways. So that's honestly been some of the hardest times for me is when I know I've been doing things wrong and God does something that is so big for me. For you, it may be no big deal. But for me at that point in time, it was such a large thing. It just brought me to tears to understand that God still loves me so much in spite of me getting up on the throne and making a mess out of it and me putting Jesus Christ back on that altar. Um, 
Hugh Pyle once said, the resident should be president and the border should be the boss. That means that if Jesus Christ is in you, he ought to be running things and not you. Think about Peter. Jesus Christ, you know, takes his outer garment off and he wraps a towel around himself, gets to the base of the water, and he goes around to wash people's feet. Peter says, you're not washing my feet, Lord. What would your heart do in that situation? Are you a Peter? And because let's face it, there are a lot of Peters in the world. You know, my heart's desire is, um, as an older person now, I, I would love to be a da- have David's heart, and I would love to be like John. Well, John, after he got saved and wasn't a son of thunder so much. The son of thunder part, I, I got naturally as a Norwegian from the Dakotas. But the other part of it is just the heart. Because you see, Peter, Peter's got an awesome heart, but he just sometimes just has to put his foot in it. You know, and that's what he does here. And then he's like, the Lord says, no, I have to wash and all this stuff. And then Peter's like, well, wash all of me, not just my feet. And God's like, okay, time out again, Peter. It's like, I love your zeal, buddy. You're doing a great job and and your heart's in the right place. But just listen to what I'm trying to tell you. And sometimes that's us. We get so excited in our heart with something that God's doing that we just run off without him. We forget that he's not even there wherever we go. David in the book of Psalms in Psalms 51.10 says, creating me a clean heart. Why? Because we muck it up. You know, it doesn't take very long in the, in to pop up in the news or, or listen, have people talking around you in the workplace to muck up your heart, and we need to get it cleaned up. And that's something that we can only do through the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalms 51.17 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Wow. But God can do with a broken heart. When somebody's got that heart that's so soft that God can just touch it and they understand that there's something that they want them to do. You're, you're, you're sitting out in the car and you're about ready to go into Safeway and there's some homeless guy out there. God goes, I want you to give him a tract. And he just has to do just a small little press and that's all it takes. And you're like, okay, Lord, I'll go. I don't want to, but I'll go. Uzziah in the second Chronicles 26, he did write, until his heart was lifted up. That's so many of us. He did run well. We've done good. But we go along the lines and somewhere in there our heart goes off the rails and we forget about that. Hey, the Lord's inside. We need him to be the resident uh, president, so to speak. We all have different th- things to say. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And we'll be starting in verse 1. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace worth when we are stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
and understand he knew everything about your life. If, if this was your life, he knew the whole story before he ever chose to get up on that cross and die for you. He knew all the times that you were going to fail him, all the times that your heart was going to wander. And he goes, what? You know what? I still love you. And I still died on the cross for you. No matter what you do after you get saved, maybe you, uh, maybe you're a much better person than me. And after you got saved, your heart's been great with the Lord. Keep it that way. Don't let things get in the middle of it and make a mess out of it. Don't let the, the rudimentary things of this world in any way take you away from the love and the joy that you can have in your heart through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there is nothing the world is going to give you that can replace what God can do in your heart. And if you're to the point where you don't have joy, that just means you need that much more Jesus Christ in your heart. It is not the things of the world. You cannot go out there and find a person. You cannot find a drug, whether it's drugs or alcohol or whatever else. You can't find a fast car or that hopped up four by four or anything else that is going to give you long-term peace, long-term joy, and make your heart stay in the right place. That's only going to come from Jesus Christ. It cannot come from yourself. It cannot come from your parents. And, and I'm a parent. I have six kids. I pray for my kids all the time. I pray for all sorts of things. Now, mainly that they don't do all the stupid things that I did. But the reality of it is, Lord, just help them with their heart so that they make the right decisions and they put you where you belong and where you should be, which is what? Elevated in my heart to be on the throne, not on the altar. There's so many things in the Bible and the books of Ephesians and Corinthians. But let's turn back to Galatians 5 and we're going to finish there. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. See, everything that we need to do, God's showing you in the verses we read earlier, here's all the things your flesh wants to do. Here's what you should want to do if your heart's right with the Lord. You should have the fruit. Notice it's not fruits, plural. It is fruit. It's all of it. It's not just part of it. When we have our heart right with the Lord, it's not just like, well, I've got love and joy. Love and joy. Love and joy. That's what I have. No, it's everything else. Long-suffering. And let's face it, in the nation and the world we live in today, we need Christians that are long-suffering. We need Christians that are gentle, that are good, that have faith. Why? Because the world desperately needs to see some Christians that are trying to live God's way, not the world's way, so that they understand there's a difference. Because let's face it, all of them have been exposed to some form of, of, of Christianity, religion, this, that, all the other stuff. But everything I'm talking about right here is something they can't get from whatever their religion is, whether it's science, whether it's Buddha, whether it's Islam, whether it's fill in the blank with whatever religion you want. You aren't getting that without Jesus Christ in your heart. 
So when they come to you and they say, how is it you have all these things? Or just maybe it's just a couple of them that they see in you. And they go, how is it? You can go, that's easy. I can tell you. And they've asked you to witness to them. Maybe you give somebody a track sometime at work and you think, well, they'll never read it. You don't know what's going on. You don't know that sometimes when they know that you're going through a tough batch of, of time where all sorts of things are against you and you keep yourself pure, you keep your mouth under control, you keep your heart under control, because ultimately your heart's where everything comes out is. And they go, you know what? You're not reacting like me. You're not doing what I would do if I, you're in a situation. How come? How come? And then you can tell them because God did an operation in my heart. He put the Lord Jesus Christ there. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about what he can do for you. Let me tell you about what he's already done for me. And that's the amazing thing about the Lord Jesus Christ is no matter how good he's been to me or so-and-so, he wants to be that good to you. And he's been better to me than I've ever deserved or will ever deserve. And that's the amazing thing is when we get down here after reading verses 20 and 21 about all the stuff that are, or 19, 20, 21, all the stuff that's in our heart, God goes, you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. If you just trust me, let me be on the throne of your heart. You can have the fruit of the spirit. And you go, yeah, but I'm not great at witnessing. Maybe God didn't call you to witness. Still doesn't mean you can't pass out tracts. Still doesn't mean you can't witness. But maybe God needs you to be a prayer warrior to pray for others. I can tell you right now, there's a lady in our church, without doubt, and my wife knows who I'm talking about. If I have a 911 emergency, I'm call- she's the first person I'm calling. Why? Because I know she'll pray for me or anybody else that I mention or bring up. I don't even have to wonder. I don't have to doubt. She will probably in the next couple hours text me back and say, I'm still praying for this. You need to have some people in your life for that because when you're having problems with your heart, you want somebody else that can be lockstep with you to help pray for your heart and the situations going in your life. Because let's face it, I've had some things in my life, but my heart hasn't experienced all the things you've experienced. But God has. God came down on this earth and he lived with all sorts of different things. And he saw all sorts of different people. And yet he did everything the right way. He's our example. Our example is not me. Praise God. Our example is not bishop so-and-so or archbishop so-and-so or whatever other title that you want to put on there. Our example is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to be as close to being like him as we can be. So that other people, we can be just be a a pale reflection of the love of Jesus Christ. And so that what happened to you when you got saved, what happened to you when God's helping you through these difficult times, that reflection is what people goes, I want to meet that person. And that's when God's love and being in control of your heart can really do a great work. And it may not even be for you. Yeah, you're going to get glory in it. It's a blessing to see somebody saved. It's a blessing to see somebody get over a problem they have in life. It is. It's a great thing. So much so if you're praying for that person and you get to see it. You have a prayer request and somebody comes back later and says, the Lord answered it. He gave me exactly. You know what? He didn't give me exactly what I wanted. He gave me what I needed. What a great testimony and what a great thing that God can do with our heart. Okay, Lord, we pray that you'd be with each person here, Lord. I pray your Holy Spirit would minister to them. I pray, Lord, that whatever the situations in life, uh, things are going on with them, I pray, Lord, that you would work on their heart. Talk to them. Show them the things to work on, Lord. 
Help them to reach out to you and ask for help. Help them, Lord, to keep their hearts pure and clean so that they can be used for you and your purpose and your glory and use their talents for you. Bless them, Lord, for coming here. Bless them, Lord, for taking their time to come and wanting to hear something from your book. And we ask it all through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.